On tonight's episode, Man United win the battle to finally end their trophy wait. Chelsea keep digging themselves into a ditch that gets deeper and deeper. And is an era finally over at Liverpool? All this and more in the new Talkie Taka podcast. Hello ladies and gentlemen and we are back on video format as well. There is a new dawn and which is why we are on video to see the reactions of RK and Ashwit. After 6 years Manchester United have won a trophy. Apart from these two we also have Radha on the episode today. So boys how are you what are your talkie points? I wonder if it's got anything to do with the Carabao Cup. I think we'll start with you Ashwin. Yeah, it's got all to do with the Carabao Cup. Uh, as you said, six uh, uh, six years without a trophy, and uh, you know, uh, nerves running really high. Uh, it was, I, I mean, apart from I think me, everyone in the group, all the United fans at least were predicting a Newcastle win. Uh, but I, there was something something different about this time. I felt that you know we we will we'll win, and I got the scoreline right, which is which is great as well. Um, So yeah uh, my talking moment of the week is obviously coming from the from the Carabao Cup as well uh, there are lots of moments to talk about Casemiro header and you know the Rashford own goal slash goal uh, but like i think i'll go with i'll go with the final trophy presentation uh, what i really loved about that is Harry Maguire blanking the glazers who for some reason had traveled all the way to manchester i, I sorry to 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 london and uh, i mean, it was great to see him you know not shaking hands with abraham or joel so i really like that i guess uh, he wants to extend his stay at old trafford so he would not want to be publicly seen mingling with the potentially outgoing pariahs of old trafford no one gives a f- about the boss the only boss is eric ten hag <laughs> yeah yeah rk it's got to be the caraba for you as well i'm pretty sure yep all this best is the new slogan uh, it it's is pretty emotional to you know win a trophy after 6 years uh, there was a time when we were much younger when we used to think that the carabao cup is not such a great cup to win and all uh, you know uh, but when you are not won anything for 6 years that's when you realize as a fan you know how important these things also can be and when you look at newcastle fans how keen they were you know it puts a perspective on life my talky moment is definitely the casemiro header that guy signifies everything about a winning mentality and what he brings to united it's not necessarily that we had our best game but we knew we always seem to know how to win so for that for that uh, i thank casemiro and that's why he takes the talky moment of the week for me and he takes away quite a lot of panic from the team as well he's he's got that presence that if he's there you can be sure okay there's there's at least one sane head in the middle of the pitch so he'll 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 manage it it, it doesn't matter if it's fred next to him if it's abidzer it could be mctominay it doesn't matter as long as casemiro is there it's okay finally radha i don't think we have much to crow about the two of us but anyhow do you have any talky points I'll go with uh, I'll go with the one from the Spurs Chelsea game I think skip scoring uh, absolute blinder uh, if anything could possibly go more wrong for Chelsea than it's somebody as unlikely as skip to come out with a absolute banger of a goal and and take the lead against Chelsea who are really struggling um, so yeah great goal um, it looked great the way that the keeper had no chance even though he was in position uh once in a lifetime kind of moment for the for the young player as well so uh great to watch as a as a neutral but i'm guessing this won't be your talking moment swag yeah absolutely not i mean it's it's like i'm i'm reminded of for the 90s indian cricket team where we would be a competent team but you would have all these random people coming up and doing their careers best like philo wallace and some powell from the west indian team as well who would who wouldn't play well against anyone else but they would just come up and do stuff like this and just the same way it's a no manager bounce for southampton then it's oliver skip scoring his first ever goal and stuff like that 
Yeah, just before we get started with the show, I have to talk about uh, somebody needs, like, I'm so happy that maybe six years has slapped some humility into these United <laughs> fans. You're coming here and saying that, oh, wow, six years, we haven't won a trophy. And then earlier on in the in the year, uh, Ashwin talking about, oh, we don't have cash, our cash reserves are down. Welcome to how the rest of us live, you ungrateful pieces of shit. <laughs> yeah, and, and now... Yeah, cash reserves are down. Like we we can we can have a whole show dedicated to that. I mean, in spite of us winning, I I think the 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 chance from the fans was mostly about Glazers out. So you can you you can very much feel you know the sentiments around the club at this yeah. point in time. Yeah, I mean, as as Radha said, welcome to the way the rest of us have to make do. Welcome to the not world you, of normal humans. You. No way, no way, Chelsea. Yeah, let me, yeah, let me, let me qualify. I'm not, I'm not going to have Chelsea just throw their, throw their hat into the same, same bandwagon there. Hey, I'm just doing what RK did with uh, Hannibal and uh, uh, who, 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 which Liverpool player did he try to bandwagon on in the World Cup? That why is he not playing? Who was that? No, but yeah, sorry. No, no Chelsea or City fans get to throw their hat into this wagon. Arsenal, I will still accept, uh, but no Chelsea fans. Okay. So before but we... It's, it's a season to skip for you doesn't mean you come up with these kind of excuses. Ah, ha, ha, ha. There no, goes RK. Let's, let's come to your talking moment of the week. Yeah, so my talking point... Obviously, there's, there's nothing from Chelsea to go about. I mean, I could say that uh, the Chelsea women team beat Arsenal 2-0. But uh, I'd say the, off the pitch, it was... Um, I don't know if you guys saw this. The 2022 FIFA Puskas Award was won by uh, Marcin Oleksi, the first ever amputee football uh, footballer to win this. And he did an overhead kick. I mean, amazing. Just just amazing. Goosebumpy stuff. Um, I mean... We can talk all about our clubs, but that's that's probably what encapsulates football for me. So, yeah, kudos to him. Right. So, let's just get started. Uh, the floor is yours, guys. Uh, how does it feel? I, I do. I would like to point out to the listeners and viewers who, who hear all this about our uh, WhatsApp group that like 20, 30 minutes after the cup had, the, the final had finished, it was radio silence from the United boys. They probably drunk out of their wits and <laughs> had no recollection whatsoever in the morning. But uh, how how does it feel now, and how did it feel then? You know, it it was uh, especially the last few moments before the match ended when it was crystal clear that United were going to win, and you were waiting for the final whistle. I think that was one of the best moments of the game. Uh, the whole, you know, uh, like making it sink in. Uh, so definitely, while the season you know has a long way to go, it it is a great feeling you know knowing that uh, the club is on the right way under the new manager. So that was definitely great. What was another very significant thing for me was that United didn't especially play well. I don't know if it was by design or it was kind of forced upon us the way that Newcastle were playing. Uh, but I was remarking to Arun even in the first half that you know we had a deeper line than usual. Uh, it seemed also to come about uh, from the fact that Newcastle haven't defended a high line very well in the past few games. They have been susceptible to very direct transition runs and United being good at that, probably it was a deliberate tactic as well to sit back a bit. Uh, However, Newcastle, especially in the second half, I think controlled large parts of the game, uh, which is where it, it was a very good portent for me because it shows that we don't necessarily need to be very good to win a game. We are capable of playing in, you know, three or four different ways. We uh, kind of bulldoze Leicester playing a very ten hack, very uh, you know, open, expansive style of football. We uh, we beat Barcelona playing mainly transition football, and we beat Newcastle uh, playing a lot of you know uh, football, which uh, as Ashwin would like to say, you associate with uh, you know Jose Mourinho. So it was a lot of that, and you would see people at the back like Casemiro, Varane and, uh, you know, Martinez especially, you know, who had a know-how. They knew how to close out that game. You never felt in, you know, absolute danger. And that was the best part of the game for me. So, I have a question here. Um, 
there was a lot of talk about uh, pope's absence in the build up to the game and um, how that would affect newcastle going forward when they attack when they try and control games because of the way he links up with the rest of the team carius had obviously his 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 battles in the past and he was one of the focal points i didn't think he did particularly anything particularly wrong in the game uh, do do you think that pope's absence had enough of an impact that gave more control to you guys or was it just based on united's performance manchester united's performance i don't think i don't think uh, pope's absence was necessarily felt because you know uh, with carriers uh, you obviously associate him with all the errors that he made in that fi- champions league final and you would have thought that if uh, you know he would probably spill some more and like united will score or something of that uh, sort will happen uh, i don't think like the focus was at all on carries to during the game maybe it was the before the game but not during the game i think newcastle started really well and even when united did score the goal it almost felt against the run of play uh, united had i think 35 or 38% possession which was which was obviously you know um, which was obviously something that uh, was concerning because we didn't feel like too much in control of the game uh, and yeah i think rk you're right like maybe that tactical change where with the you know with the shape and the line had something to do with it but you know the one difference between this team and the and the team that played the europa league final with ole is the champion the championship or the title winning mentality which is what casemiro and varan and licha bring i think that that was the main difference uh, that actually powered us through uh, especially after we had had you know that great night uh, at old trafford versus barcelona and you know newcastle were much less fatigued than us i think i think that is what got us through so radha as a as a neutral or slightly biased neutral considering it's man united um would you enjoy would you in, would you have enjoyed newcastle to have uh, gone over the line here uh, considering their history and we had a lot of uh, chatter about uh, the 58 year uh, wait that they've had as well but uh, for me i was like yeah united deserved it so that's it uh, they won better team fair and square and ten hag seems to have had quite a lot of effect, good effect on them but for you was it the same or were you like okay let's have newcastle win No, sure. That would have been that would have been interesting for sure if Newcastle had won. I think they're still very early in their eventual scale-up journey, um, and this there was a feeling that they're just happy to be there. I don't think um, I don't think the club or the fan group or the or the people in the stadium felt under pressure to win the to win the championship. I think they felt like they were happy enough just being in the finals. um it did look like it meant more to manchester united than to newcastle um it would have been of course nice uh, newcastle is a club that i've always loved maybe because of that movie uh, goal and you know that when we were a little younger and it 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 gave us some kind of connection to a club that we otherwise wouldn't support so i've always had a soft spot for them obviously less so now that they've got the new owners but uh, i do like the club i do like the manager um a lot of their players i think are very are not at the elite level i think i said this a few weeks ago as well there are a lot of players at that club which are performing way above their level so it would have been a nice story but yeah i'm not uh, i'm not too fussed about which one of them won the tournament i think i think they were definitely the inferior team and uh, i think uh, united definitely deserved to win you know but the uh, but the atmosphere which the newcastle fans brought uh, was pretty immense uh, you know even before the match in different parts of london and uh, you know uh, the whole atmosphere in the ground and i i particularly liked the uh, you know one of their senior fans uh, you know uh, like prior to the game where he became very emotional so i think it it was a very good build up to the game two sets of fans who you know really wanted to win that final uh for a slightly different reasons and i think during the game as well you could see in the desire from newcastle uh, they had had almost a week of rest uh they were you know more intense uh they couldn't uh, you know they weren't good enough in both the boxes which is what matters but otherwise i thought newcastle 
did very well they were not overwhelmed by the occasion and they did make changes in the second half also like bringing on an extra striker trying to have more presence in the box and try to force a goal uh, which didn't work out obviously but as radha said i think uh, better times are uh, you know up for newcastle and uh, you know once they uh, if they finish top 4 this season and then they go on a spending spree we won't be having so much sympathy for them next season yeah yeah absolutely now there are two teams who are fighting for slightly more uh, significant silverware if i can say so and uh, that's arsenal and man city uh, over the weekend they continued to chug along on their merry ways arsenal had a nervy win over leicester even though well, I, i'll go to the xg expert here rk was this 0.01 was the xg for leicester in this game yes what ever what does that even mean <laughs> I, I I don't even know how I'm I'm just trying to figure out how they um accounted for that 0.01 yeah, did, exactly. did the goalie take a did they take a goal kick which went straight to the other keeper or something like it's just ridiculous that, how I am that lower than the uh, Saudi Arabia Argentina game No no this is this is the PL uh, uh, this is the PL record the the Premier so, League yeah, record no, 0.14 or 0.2 xg That's what I'm asking. Like, is it like 0.1? Is that lower than the Saudi? No, no. This is 0.01. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> but but you know, uh, like when I was watching the game, it didn't feel like a 0.01 kind of XG. Leicester, uh, for periods in the second half, were actually threatening. Uh, you know, in terms of position and uh, in terms of decent uh, territory from where they could have created chances. It was just that they were. so bad at you know giving any kind of a final pass even after wadi came on nothing really happened for them you know in that respect uh, but if you look at it from the balance of play arsenal were not very comfortable in that second half it was a very gritty grounding out win which also you know it it reflects well on arsenal again after that uh, you know a bit of a stumble that they had it's good that they are back to grinding results and perfect timing for them that they uh, that they bought trossard right because enketia was out injured jesus is still not back and trossard came up uh, as the number 9 but yeah as you said about lester madison being out meant that there was absolutely no attacking threat to them and uh, obviously all careers come to an end and it seems like wardy's is coming close uh, to its eventual sunset and martinelli also had a uh... a pretty poor first half uh, and in fact at half time i was remarking that probably at some point he would need to be taken off as well uh, because he was getting into good positions but he was not uh, you know good with the final ball etc and his recent form also hasn't been great uh, save for the last game against leicester but good to have a bit of patience with such people you know who can produce really good moments a uh, very well taken goal Yeah, that's two goals in the last two. I guess uh, for him, while not looking like um, he was on top form, he also came off the bench in one of those games. Um, right when perhaps um, it was looking a little lackluster going forward for Arsenal overall, um, I, I I was particularly interested. I think last week we talked about Enketia probably not uh, in the last few weeks not being at the level that that you that they would need in a title race, and he was on the bench. Uh, this time and um, Trossard uh, actually had an amazing strike, which was ruled out for a rightful foul uh, on the goalkeeper early in the game. But he also played a huge part in creating the goal for Martinelli. I think the fact that he's not that fox in the box, he, he ended up playing number nine in this game. But the fact that he's not that uh, traditional number nine um, actually created a huge vacuum of space in the center, which forced Martinelli and Saka to kind of get into. um that caused that that movement caused the goal and eventually led to the winner uh, for arsenal as well not that they were under any threat of losing the game but i don't think they looked their best either so uh, that's the kind of stuff that jesus used to do i think he used to get people involved in different ways and maybe by some accident having three fluid players play up front they were able to create that for their goal finally so that's uh, something that they could potentially look at for more important games in the premier league coming up while Jesus is not uh, not around yeah and uh, we have arsenal uh, playing everton tonight which is their spare game which has been spare for a long time now and finally they'll have the same number of games as city and they can potentially go up uh, five points 
and I'm contractually obliged to mention Arun's message, which says that under Arteta, Arsenal has never scored more than one goal against Sean Dyche managed team. So he's he's getting his jinxes onto the pod now as well. Radha, is that <laughs> is that one is that one goal per game or one goal? Yeah, I, I, in... I would assume this is per game. One goal is more than enough to beat Everton at this point of time. I think uh, we just talked about Leandro Trozad and what a what what an interesting signing he seems to be. Uh, I think Everton got the short end of that Brighton forward stick where they signed Mope, who for me I, I I don't know the XG stats, but if I was to guess who is underperforming XG over the last three years, Neil Mope would be in my top two for sure. Um, yeah. Everton are really struggling um, to score a goal, so. That one nil looks that that one goal versus the Sean Dyche team would be more than more than enough to keep that run going. Yeah, yeah. And City um, had an easy day out against Bournemouth. I mean, Bournemouth are doomed now, considering that I've tipped them for survival like two or three times. So I mean, they they they're, they're potentially going out of business now. There's nothing else to it. But Ratha, I have a question for you. What's the percentage for you now? What's the split? Uh, what's it for Arsenal? And what's it for City? Yeah, it's not uh, changed since the last time we met, I think, uh, um, because it's for two reasons, right? One, I do think Arsenal will continue to do decently well, and I, my biggest doubts are on Man City, so uh, it'll remain the same. I think I, I think last time I was at, was it was I at 60-40 or 70-30, I can't remember, but yeah, I'm, I'm in the same, same zone as I was last week. Uh, Arsenal should win the league, and like I said, I actually fancy City to fall down to third. You were at 85-15, Radha. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Then I think one of you went to 60-40 last week. So, yeah, I, I still, I'm still reasonably confident that Arsenal will win the league. Uh, like I said, I'm, this is not so much that Arsenal are going to be unbeatable. It's my doubts on City, like, like I was talking about last week. Yeah, and Haaland has not been firing on, like, three goals a game, two goals a game, scoring every game, such, sorts of levels. Foden suddenly not in the team continuously. Guardiola is being salty about Man United in his press conferences. Everything doesn't Foden, seem... Foden, Foden seems... I was just going to say Foden seems to be back because he was also playing yeah. in the FA Cup game yeah. and then he scored in this game as well. So, yeah, he has his phases, right? With Foden. Like, suddenly he will come up uh, out of nowhere and then he'll score a bag of goals and then he'll go missing again. Yeah, I think I think there was some commentary on this. I don't. I think it was Pep or or maybe somebody inside the Man City um, contingent who was talking about Foden coming back from the World Cup with an injury. Um, so I think that's played a part um, as well. I don't think there's been any doubt on uh, uh, his importance or his relevance in the team with 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 Pep. I just think that perhaps he was carrying a knock or maybe his fitness was not at his best. But he played. The last couple of games, and he looks like he has that goal threat. He scored a goal, but he also was involved in an almost goal. I don't know whether he hit the post or it. Uh, it ended up uh, coming back off the keeper or the post, and so he came close quite a few times. So yeah, he he's a definite threat, and I think he'll be an important part of Man City's um, forward threat if Haaland is not doing too well. This is all to do about uh, the control that Pep wants, and which we have discussed before. But having said that. The previous two games, uh, or at least the Bournemouth game, Foden was playing off the right uh, in, instead of Mares, right? And he ended up scoring the goals as well. Probably Guardiola now feels that, uh, you know, cutting in off the right uh, affords Foden to play with a bit more control than he would when he was generally playing in from the left, where he was more of a, you know, penalty box or a behind the line kind of a runner. Uh, is what Guardiola himself remarked. As opposed to Grealish, he was he him and Haaland are the guys who always try the final pass. Whereas Grealish and Mares, uh, you know, they are able to control play a bit more. So probably, if he finds Foden a good fit on the right wing, he might start playing him more there. Yeah, I've just got a interesting stat about Foden before we move on. I think uh, he's now played 200 games for Man City across all competitions. He's just 22. So yeah. Be prepared for a long haul. I don't know when uh, if he if he gets burned out uh, regularly as well. But that's that's an awful long list of games for uh, someone who's just 22. But anyway, uh, moving yeah, on. Uh, just one point on this. On a lighter note, note, uh, it just goes to show how annoying it is if you play fantasy Premier League and you have Man City assets. 
like Guardiola would rotate the hell out of his team, and that does not. Uh, he's not limited that to you know midfielders. It's also like defenders. He's always rotating. Tell me about it. I have Mahrez <laughs> and Alvarez. Anyway, moving on. In part two, we shall discuss the more interesting things going on at Cobham, at Liverpool, at Spurs. The race for fourth. Come back after a break. Welcome back. And we had a nice little break. And in part two, we are starting off with Chelsea. Do we really have to? You know why Ub's not on the podcast anymore. It's It's been 15 games and two wins. We've, we've scored lesser, ga- lesser goals than Marcus Rashford, I think, this season or something like that. I, I read something, something depressingly familiar, which is like the same stuff over and over again every week is must win and we don't win. And Selavi. So this is where we are at. Again, we were supposed to win this weekend. We did not. The ditch is now deeper. Now, Thiago Silva is also out. A knee injury. Mount is out. We've got Dortmund coming up. I guess that is the only game that matters now. Do we at least reach the quarterfinals? Because in the league, we don't have anything to play for. Apart from saving ourselves from relegation at the speed at which we're dropping. But, uh, yeah. Anyone wants to twist the knife? Yeah, Dortmund is definitely... I think if there's anything that any Chelsea fan can expect is that if you sack a manager, then the other manager needs to win the Champions League. Uh, and that's that's probably not going to happen, I'm going to say, uh, considering the current situation at Chelsea. But uh, it didn't get off to a great start. I think uh, the trailing to Dortmund after the first leg... Um, I think uh, I think Ashwin mentioned on the group uh, a pretty incredible stat that Real Madrid have scored more goals in England in 2023 than Chelsea. Uh, that I mean that's rubbing the knife that's digging the knife into both Chelsea and Liverpool. But 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 there it is. Um, pretty insane statistics. Everything seems to be going wrong. I think RK mentioned last week that the underlying stats, the XG stats, are looking are turning up and they're looking better. Whatever said and done, um, I don't think any manager can keep this going for too long. Hassan Hootel himself, this is the year when Hassan Hootel himself met his match. Uh, so I don't think it's possible that for, I think, another loss and we to Dortmund. And I think we would be talking about Graham Potter uh, getting the sack, which is quite unfortunate for all everybody considered Chelsea, obviously. Uh, the, the manager himself, the players, the new players probably don't even know the language at this point. But uh, here we are. Everything seems to be chaotic. And I'm finding it difficult to watch Chelsea games because I just don't recognize the players. I don't know who's on the ball anymore. Everything is so confusing. Uh, it looks like a real chaotic set. And whoever comes next, I mean, I wish him all the luck. It's It's very bad news for English managers as well who have, uh, you know, been really wanting Potter to do well for their own uh, brand value because it is perceived with maybe not uh, uncommon reasoning that uh, you know English managers aren't as good as uh, foreign managers. Uh, The XG part was before the Dortmund game. I I think they have kind of uh, cut that run of uh, maybe three or four games where things were looking up for them. Uh, For me, one thing that you know tells me that the end might be near is how Chelsea react to any kind of setback, right? It was very reminiscent of uh, of tough times for United last season where you could see the shoulders drop and uh, any lack of effort once, you know, you go a goal behind. The same thing happened against Spurs who themselves have not had the best of seasons. They are themselves struggling. But as soon as they went ahead, you could just see that you, you just knew that Chelsea aren't going to come back into the game. Uh, Porter needs to be talked about more uh, by us. We have talked a lot about the challenges that he's faced at Chelsea, but a lot of these things, you know, you don't expect a manager who is able to implement good basics. Uh, you know, you don't expect to see some of these things. We all know that Graham Potter is a very good coach, but something is going wrong in the way that he's getting his message across at Chelsea. He, he chops and chains too much. Hub has been talking about how ZH was supposed to leave. He almost 
she should have left except for someone who deserves to be fired more than Potter. Uh, but you know, he ends up starting a lot of games, and that's very hard to understand when you have you know got a right winger in. Why would you play Ziyech, uh, who you didn't want, who didn't want to be at the club over him? His substitutions don't seem to make much sense to me. Uh, I thought at one nil down, he needed a kind of moral change. He needed someone, you know, to come in to drive the team forward, bring some level of confidence which was not there on the pitch. And for me, it should have been either Mudrek or Oba or both of them coming on much sooner. They came on when it was too late, and that's when Harry Kane scored. So a lot of things. I think which Potter could have changed his body language, the way that he communicates to the media, uh, the weight that he seems to be under, how overwhelmed he seems to be, it all points to like too too much too soon for him. So, see, I totally buy the point that he's not doing himself any favors, and he's really not. Um, I think a lot of this overwhelming feeling and the chaotic nature of his management and selections is also because there's just so many new variables that have been introduced in January. I don't, for example, I, I found it difficult to understand why Badi Ashil didn't come on when Thiago Silva got injured. Uh, he's someone who's been playing recently and he's looked reasonably solid as well, but they also have Fofana in there who's back from injury. That's a new variable that's been introduced to him and maybe he's a bit confused as to He's not seen these players enough himself. It's not like I'm I'm 95% sure that he's not the guy who scouted these players and said that, listen, let's go after them, let's sign them for Chelsea. And definitely not the guy who said, let's sign them now. So maybe this is also the fact that he's just trying to figure out which guy works well. And the ZH point, I get it. But again, going back to the point that I'm sure it was not a problem with Graham Potter that, want, that led to ZH wanting to leave, right? I, I don't think, maybe they don't have a poor relationship. Maybe he, they have just barely gotten to know each other at, to, to begin with. So, he's looking at it from the point of view that these are all these talented players that I have at my disposal. I don't have a bad relationship with any of them. I'm just trying to figure out what works in my system. But there are too many moving parts and I don't think any manager can pull this off. Uh, leave alone a manager who's never managed at this scale and size before. So, uh, I think it's just a mistake waiting to happen. The death knell for me was saying things like I was watching the Arsenal documentary and and see how they kept faith with Arteta. I mean, oh my God, that's that's how fans should be talking, not the manager of a club. Uh, that it's, It sounds like uh, the time is near for, for Potter yeah. for sure. That, that was like, sir, I'll, I'll return your money next week. Just give me one more week, sir. Please, one more game, sir. I, I will definitely win the next one, sir. Please, sir. Uh, yeah, I think I, I mentioned this in the last part as well that uh, Potter has been set up for failure, right? Uh, he has been given all these resources that he probably did. I won't say did not need, but he probably does not know how to use them. Uh, uh, so it's it's it 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 is a bit of a tricky situation in the sense that Boli has obviously backed him with all these signings, but he. He's probably reached that zone where he needs to just cut his losses because Potters doesn't seem to be the man that he thought he was hiring, right? Uh, I remember the some of uh, before Real Madrid became the great team. Well, they've always been the great team, but like you know what I'm talking about before the Zidane era and all of that. Uh, they they went through this phase where they had so many uh, uh, managers and then they signed so many. Touch superstars, I remember Rafael van der Waard and Wesley Schneider and Ian Robin and none of the managers could really use them. I think it is kind of similar to that particular phase uh, where the manager has been given so many resources and they they don't really have an idea as to what they uh, what they would want to do about it. I have a question for you, Swag, on this. Uh, do you think Mauricio Pochettino would be a good manager to replace Potter? I mean, he has a good history with youth players, but uh, apparently, according to some journalist whom me and Radha were discussing, whether he's reliable or not, he's already turned us down. So, yeah. I mean, that is my question. Who who would come in now after after Potter? I mean, Tuchel will obviously not want to come back. I see. No, I was reading that Roberto De Zerbi is in line. 
if graham photo fails ha huh, that's that's the that's the only thing that's left at brighton right we've taken everything from there we've taken directors of football we've taken players we've taken managers now it's like next thing will be change jersey and start wearing the seagull stripe i'm I, i'm saying let's just go full bowley and get jose back and <laughs> let's have a i am i am the special one kind of uh moment before the season and let's start let's start all over again let this let the cycle get started i mean, that's uh, all that's left i think everything is seeming a little too crazy for me to believe um, at chelsea like i said i wasn't able to keep track of their january i'm not able to keep track of what's happening on the pitch with them these days i'm hearing talks that chilwell is likely to leave in the summer as well with man city looking to sign him i just don't understand what the hell is going on there yeah and i i don't think anyone does at the club outside the club but yeah as as you can hear listeners misery has no friends and and isn't that fun you would know <laughs> isn't that fun <laughs> yeah i can i can feel the pain of manchester united fans from the, for the past like 6 7 8 years Anyway, moving yeah, on. Yeah, it must be it must be so painful to have signed 300 million worth of players in January. <laughs> Things are so difficult for us right now. Yeah, it'll be fun to see Mikhailo Mudrik playing in the championship. Let's just say that. Anyway, moving on to more interesting things. The top four battle Spurs were apparently going through a dip in their form, but they're back because Conte is not on the sidelines. His number 2 Stellini seems to be winning all the games that he takes charge of whenever conte comes back he loses to milan and uh, liverpool were looking likely and but were pretty dar i would say in the game against palace i think both are all our liverpool fans who who ended up watching the game ended up falling asleep i think and uh, during the game and we have another one tonight i definitely did i i started the game and i fell asleep midway and i ended up rewatching uh later it's not it was not a good game um i think this is the worst we've always had tough games against palace but this is the worst palace team that i've seen in a long time they had really no threat to speak of and yet we looked like we couldn't beat them um i think that it feels weird to say but how can we be missing darwin so much when everybody in the whole world is talking about how darwin is like um not the greatest thing that that has ever happened so but we really looked like we missed him that that cutting edge and the 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 danger in behind was lost uh, without him i think jota still catching up I, I, fabinho and virgil are still i don't know when when and if they will ever get back to their um, past splendor um so yeah it's not looking good that game was not good but for me the whole week stems back to the real madrid game I think that's where for me I finally have to acknowledge that this is probably the end of the great period that we've had um the first 20 minutes was just the biggest shot in the arm for all Liverpool fans where we got a reminder of what we used to be or what we've been in the last 6 7 years um and then quickly we were brought down brought down to earth I think racing to that 2-0 lead was just outstanding the crowd was on its feet the pressure the winning the ball back early everything was back uh, sala scored darwin scored everything was really good and then we got shown our place um and i don't think we're ever going we're going to recover from this i think this will eventually lead to the core of the club getting replaced and and changed and we move into phase 2 um the language and the commentary from klopp has also dramatically changed from earlier on the season like pre world cup in the world cup he all pre world cup he always said that there are difficult situations we're going to get better we're going to get better but now he's saying things like we just have to grind grind our teeth and you know get this season over with and then we have to make moves in the summer he never talks like that um so yeah everything is pointing to the fact that i think this is the end of a really astoundingly good era of liverpool football club and uh, klopp will be at the helm to bring in the new era as well with uh, with some kind of succession planned in midfield and probably in defense as well uh, but yeah i would say that this puts us back a few steps if you're talking about immediate um challenging for trophies in in the next year or so liverpool uh, 
Real Madrid have become a uh, you know kind of a real bogey team for Liverpool, uh, especially I think with this result uh, now where uh, the balance of play maybe wasn't as skewed as the result was. Uh, but that's what Real Madrid do, especially in knockout ties, especially in cup competitions where you know they're just so clinical. As we were talking about with respect to Varane and Casemiro as well, they have players who just know you know when to step up at the right at the right moment, and that's what it looked like against Liverpool as well. Uh, I think they had six shots on target and they scored five goals. Uh, but uh, Radha, you were speaking about Liverpool, maybe Klopp changing, uh, you know. His, uh, you know, what he has been speaking about, but I think recently he has also spoken about, you know, Liverpool being a club which cannot, you know, splurge on the level of Chelsea or, uh, you know, having different fundamentals. Do you really think the owners are going to be able to, or either willing to, or uh, having the capability of, you know, spending big this summer? Absolutely. See. I think it's absolutely true that we we won't ever be able to spend like some other clubs in the world. I don't think we can have a window like Chelsea just had. I don't think we can sustainably keep spending like City have, where you can make a 60 million mistake, right? We have been trying to make Naby Keita work for four years because he was like a 50 million player, right? And we've been, it's been a mis- like one of the few, I would call maybe one Maybe two mistakes, or not, I wouldn't even say mistakes, but lesser, um, less successful signings that this administration has made. But they have put the cash up in like multiple times. It's it's just that over a period of time they've also sold well and and made up some cash and things like that. And that will remain a reality. I don't think we'll ever be able to just go out and spend three hundred million like and just not have any impact on sales or anything and stuff like that. Um, we will spend big, I do think so, but I think we'll also make some smart signings. So I expect like one big signing for sure. And then I expect a couple of these wheeling dealing kind of signings, uh, perhaps like a 10 million unknown, uh, not well unknown, but like a lesser known player from somewhere in Europe, maybe Mason Mount on free, which would be a real coup at this stage. Like it's something that I've been reading about and I would absolutely love that signing. Like it's it's a free transfer. It's not going to have a huge outlay. Yes, his wages seem to be uh, in the 200 plus range, but still um, that would be a great signing for somebody who's young and full of potential. Um, somebody like Jude and stuff will probably be the marquee. Not not Jude, but somebody like him would be the marquee signing. I think it'll be it'll have to be supported by some kind of wheeling dealing that, that happens around that. So the, I have no, I'm not like a large group of United fans on Twitter who seem to always want FSG out. I'm a big fan of their administration. I do think that they have put up the cash. Well, let's look at even this summer, this January, right? Uh, Cody Gakpo came out of nowhere and he was not cheap. Darwin Nunes in the summer, he was probably, he's our record, like if all the payments get made, he will become our record signing. So yeah, I, I think they've always put up the cash when it's required. It's just that they obviously have an upper cap on what they can do. Uh, Real Madrid, the Real Madrid game as well. Uh, I, I, I know Radha and I were discussing in the group uh, about how Liverpool, uh, you know, started with all guns blazing. The first 15 minutes, Liverpool were pretty much dominating. But somewhere it did feel that, you know, Real Madrid were not out of the game. Partly because of the fact that it's Real Madrid, you know, the, the Champions League team for everyone to beat. But also because of the defensive priorities that Liverpool have shown over the past few weeks, right? I felt, personally, Joe Gomez had a torrid game. Uh, and it's not, not, only because, not only because of the deflected goal, right? Like, there were other instances where, you know, uh, the Madrid players were passing the ball around inside their own inside the liverpool uh, inside the liverpool box and there were some instances where i think he left uh, the man i think it was for the third goal the goal uh, that they conceded from the free kick as well uh, so all in all i think I, I know i'm like blaming one person for the whole loss but i think as a unit liverpool definitely failed but i think joe gomez was really to be blamed for a lot of the mistakes that they that they made on that particular night yeah, so not going to disagree, Gomez had a torrid night. Of course, he did. Um, but again, this is this classic misdirection that has always been there this season, where Joe Gomez and Trent Alexander-Arnold are the ones that get all the high, all the well backlash on what has been absolutely dire defending from 
every single player in the team and for me the two and i've maintained this all season the two that stand out to me are fabinho and virgil van dijk and virgil van dijk is just coming back from an injury so you can't be too critical of him either but he was way less effective than even joe gomez was in that game against real madrid for me he was just there to mark attendance he there were so many moments where he didn't put us he didn't put his foot forward and step in i think his play in the fourth or now i don't know so many goals they scored fourth or fifth goal that real scored i think virgil was absolutely nowhere to be seen um fabinho i think is gotten better from what he was two months ago but is still very limited i think he was what casemiro is to you guys right like fabinho was that guy where the entire midfield was ticking and everything that came to him stopped with him like there was nobody who was able to get past him or dribble past him now there are eight or nine dribbles per game and not the star player of the other team every tom dick and harry player from the other team is dribbling past fabinho people are dribbling past van dijk he's not he's not making the challenge maybe he's also beginning to doubt his physicality and his ability to recover uh joe gomez is for me a less of a problem because he's our fourth best center back i i don't think he's the guy that i would point fingers at i would be worried for 2023 24 i would be worried about what are we doing about that fabinho position and will virgil van dijk ever get back to his real level uh, i'm okay at this point to cut losses and and sell gomez if there is a buyer in the market uh, i don't think that will change our season that much but yeah for me the ones that will define our season would be virgil and fabinho and what happens there so mind also asked that to what anthony said after the champions league final uh, last year and i wanted to just bring that up so what he commented about uh, uh, you know liverpool and klopp was that it was easy for him to prepare for that game uh, in relation to maybe some other games because of because he knew how you know liverpool would play and he called it predictable uh and when i think back to the past four seasons uh, right it's been like one season been brilliant and the next season has been you know very down uh i was just wondering whether that's because you know the way that top plays he always demands always 100% in terms of intensity and high pressure probably liverpool have uh, undeniably become smarter in that over the years but still it feels like you know it's a very very draining style of football and is Uh, I was just wondering if that has something to do, Radha, with you know how the pendulum has swung in the last four years from very good to you know this kind of a level. Yeah, so no, I don't buy that completely, and I'll tell you why. Because two seasons ago, I'm not combining with this season. Two seasons ago was very clearly a personal issue where we were ended. We were playing with like centre backs who should who. to be fair are not premier league level and we had the entire squad out and things like that so that was a a dip because of the personnel that we had this season i think is related to last season because we went too far a lot of our players are probably now on the 29 30 31 kind of age group we didn't have we, they would have got a mental blow last season and they've not able to been probably recover physically as well like the likes of fabinho and virgil they've definitely lost some physicality so that is taking a toll and yes then if you tie it back to the kind of style that jurgen klopp demands then i don't think it's fitting that style i don't think the style has caused them to actually lose their legs i think injuries and perhaps just general physicality of of their age has caused them to lose their legs but right now it's very clear that the way that our current midfield is playing is not the way that our jurgen klopp team would work but the the point you talked about for me is critical the carlo ancelotti line about how we found it easy to prepare for liverpool and we knew what they were going to do i think that really stoked um klopp and his entire management team's ego a lot because the entire language pre-season the entire behavior pre-season and the language all through the first half of the season has been about different options it's been about unpredictability darwin nunes was a signing designed around that very thing it was about the fact that he gives them different options and that you have five strikers and now you can play any different kinds of formations and be unpredictable the number of times klopp has mentioned the word unpredictable in this season's press conferences is just out of the world and for me that i keep whenever he says that word i keep thinking back to that carlo ancelotti moment i think it really stung the team 
a team that has done really well because that team has just been better than everybody else at doing plan A and plan A was always enough but when they lost a big final like that and then were pointed out saying that hey they only have plan A I think they really took that personally and I don't know maybe that has been a distraction because if you remember all the formation changes we did in the first half of the season as well it all goes back to that I think they tried very hard to do something different and I think a lot of things are happening at the same time new systems new players and and people losing their physicality and that's probably all led to where we are now Okay I want to touch upon uh, Liverpool a bit more in our talky game which is uh, coming up but uh, just a detour to Europe and Ashwin uh, Bayern are back on top I just wanted to mention that to you I mean considering you mention the opposite every time that happens it's like death and bayern inevitable yeah i mean it's still it see listen it's still there's still only 3 points ahead right so it's 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 not it's not the end of the it's not a, it's not the end of the world i wouldn't have i wouldn't have expected union berlin to like win the league or anything i think the uh, the biggest challenge that um, they will have is from dortmund assuming dortmund are able to retain the form right so they have been winning the one nils and two nils lately they level on points with bayern uh, there was a third there was a third contender in union berlin but union berlin five years back no one even knew about them so um, let bygones be bygones i wasn't expecting much the game in itself and i was i couldn't watch uh, watch the game as such because obviously i was watching the united game bayern it was a proper blitzkrieg i think i think um the one of the union berlin defenders said after the game that you know we had no answer to them so bayern went out there with purpose and now that they have sadio mane back leroy sane coming off the bench sergey uh, gnabry coming off the bench i mean i i really feel that you know this is the most that union could have challenged bayern i think now it's between bayern and dortmund yeah and another country where the race seems to be heading in a slightly different direction which is spain where barca had a healthy lead uh, over real then real went to no they didn't go to atletico atletico came to them had a red card took the lead then real equalized and dropped two more points and then uh, barcelona the next day they just go ahead and lose to almeria all all of a sudden it's not a race even now because there's still seven points in there i think but uh, maybe I think barca the, got this though. yeah i i would say barca have got this to much the chagrin of zavi hating rk <laughs> i think he deserves it as well i'll i'll, I'll let rk you know to be fair to zavi in, in the last few weeks or months i have called out that Barcelona have been looking more impressive i did not think that a coach from qatar would be able to you know do that uh, but but there have been a lot of good things about barcelona but i i would blame this defeat on the united hangover yeah how how how, how, how was it, it well, he's not wrong ever, he's probably the greatest ever midfielder to play but, for barcelona today what's his name foden has scored played his 200th game mbappe scored his 200th goal for psg his 200th goal yeah. for psg, for PSG. I, i mean yeah yeah wow for psg and he's he's 24 too so just to put just to understand what's happening in, with these kids these days yeah one one has played 200 games and we we thought that that was wow for his young age and here's this guy who scored 200 goals at his age it's pretty ridiculous yeah and he's he's drawn Cup, level with <laughs> and he's drawn level with kavani to be the top scorer ever of uh, psg so by the time this has gone out he would have probably gone further ahead which also means he has left ibra far behind 
So finally, a quick word on Liverpool, Manchester United. We've talked in detail about both of these clubs today. This is definitely the game to watch this weekend. Uh, it might not have the luster that it usually has, um, considering Liverpool are struggling as we've just talked in detail. It, it, the form guide seems to be going one way. Ashwin and RK, do you have any jinxes to throw or are you confident enough to say that United are going to win this? You know, this is not a jinx, it's a fact. Uh, form goes out of the window in such games. Of, of course, you wouldn't probably expect United to lose in the form that we are in, if I'm honest. I would be disappointed if we lost the Liverpool game, but we haven't won at Anfield in seven years. It's always a special place to go to. Uh, you know, for Manchester United, you always expect the atmosphere to be at a certain level, to be intimidating, uh, to be all those things, right, which you expect from a derby. So, it's it's definitely anyone, any United fan who comes and says that this is going to be an easy game or this is something that they expect to win is, uh, is completely wrong. Also, one more thing uh, that we have to be careful about is how we rotate because we have been through a very uh, fatiguing week with Barcelona and then the Carabao Cup. Ten Hag has been very good with in-game substitutions. I think that was one of the things we missed earlier in the pod. Even in the final, the way that he brought Van Bissaka on, the way he brought Sabitzer on. But probably between games, the rotation is not that much. Uh, so it all depends on how he approaches the West Ham uh, FA Cup game, which is also important for its own reasons. But uh, along with the fact that he doesn't rotate too much, it's also another fact that our bench strength is not as anywhere close to how the starting eleven is playing. So, all those things in consideration and what kind of energy that we take into that Anfield game is going to be very important is what I feel. Yeah, I think uh, I agree with those sentiments. Like, uh, it is Anfield after all. Like, I, I would say I, I, I was more confident with United going to Emirates than United going to Anfield just because of the history of this particular fixture. Uh, my mind immediately, immediately goes back to the reverse fixture as well. No one was expecting... United to win that particular game after the dire form that we were in. And we happened to win that game. And the, the, I think the Old Trafford crowd had a lot to do in, in that particular game as well. So, United-Liverpool, it's very difficult to predict. I will take a last, uh, you know, last minute 1-0 winner the way John O'Shea did in front of the cop all those years ago. Like, I will take that if, if we get it. Radha, I'll give you the final word considering a, your, your uh, outgun 2-1 here. So what a benevolent guy. He'll take a last-minute winner. So so thoughtful and uh, benevolent of Ashwin. No, but uh, I don't see any way past this. I, I think I do see a potential loss at Anfield coming. I mean, it's not the first time. We've lost to Leeds already. And now we just got thumped by Real Madrid at Anfield. So I think that confidence and um, of everybody has been shaken and broken after the Real Madrid game. I don't think that is something we're going to recover from in a, in a Jiffy. Um, so yeah, it's the wrong time, I think, to be, to be playing United. The mood over there is just through the roof after the cup win and the, generally the way the season has gone. And it couldn't be worse for us um, considering what happened against Real and then the Crystal Palace game and let's see maybe we can get some momentum tonight against Wolves and and obviously we have a team that on their day can beat any team it's definitely possible and at home we get the crowds backing and things are possible but given how the last few weeks have gone I don't see I can't see past the United victory Yeah I'm, I'm with you there uh, I think uh, given the confidence that's surging through the bald is beautiful gang right now. I think this will be a United win. Uh, happy to be proven wrong? I don't know. I don't even care what's what's top four. I don't even know what that means anymore. But anyway, hello. We, we are not. We are not like like I clarified last last weekend. We may be in the race because of the points, but we are we are not really in the race. So don't think that this is a top four shootout. I'm. I think Liverpool and Chelsea are more interested in that whatever that conference shit that thing is. Uh, the next time we meet, listeners, uh, we'll be previewing the European games because they're back next week, I think. And uh, tonight we end with a special interview from the Arsenal fan and who we keep referencing every episode. Just have a listen in. For now, good night. Bye-bye. 
Hello, hello, listeners. We finally have an Arsenal supporter in our midst, and you would have probably heard of him so many times. He's the greatest jinxer alive in our group. Um, Arun Ramakrishnan, how are you feeling about Arsenal's chances? Yeah. It is so far so good, I'll say. But there is half the season to play. There is a long way to go. So let's see where we end up. Where, uh, but where do you think you will end up? Uh, so actually, if you are me before the season, then I said that if we have finished in the top four, it would have been a big achievement. Yeah. So how we have played in the first half of the season, you know, getting 50 points out of 19 games, it is unimaginable uh, uh, for me. So right now we are in the race, uh, ideal race. And I would like to see us go till the end. Now. Yeah. Let us go. I like Arsenal to go to the end line of the race. But I don't think that we'll be able to beat City in the race. Just for the plain reason uh, that most of the time City, they're able to pull off a great act in the second half of the season. They're able to get some 45-50 points in the season. uh, One more thing I'm uh, having concern about is that we are too dependent on Thomas Partey in the base of midfield. If you look at, you know, if... So whenever he's a- absent, uh, so uh, Arsenal's win percentage is uh, decreasing in those games. The, so it is very important to for him to remain fit and also Bukayo Saka to remain fit. Alright, you spoke about City, right? Like obviously they have had like really um, good performances lately, uh, but also um, you know it's very much dependent on Haaland scoring, right? So. What if Haaland doesn't continue his form? Do you think there's still a chance for him to, you know, get a blank against Arsenal? Uh, so there is a, a, a chance of him getting a blank against any team. So, if, uh, so if, it's, if it's all the game against United, uh, so he cannot score because... Uh, so, the, the players who were asked to mark him, they did a, a very good job. And, and even more than that, the... The, those players who su- su- supply to Harling uh, Haaland, they were quite quiet. So there is a way to keep Haaland quiet, which is possible. But uh, I think he's a force of nature and a monster. So it is almost impossible to keep him quiet. But the main thing which we have seen this season is that Haaland has been spectacular. But City and Pep Guardiola have not been able to integrate Haaland's style into their way of playing, which has actually made City perhaps a, a decreasing force compared to the last season. So, are you saying that Arsenal have a chance? Uh, see, we, uh, <laughs> it's a tricky question actually. Uh, so, because even the way Arsenal has played so far, it was beyond our uh, expectation. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the XG against and XG goals which have scored, it's also a bit above their level which we had done. So, we have to see if it uh, kind of sustains in the remaining half of the season. And Arsenal have been remarkably lucky with the injuries. If you see, we, Arsenal has been able to feel, you know, similar playing level in all the matches. So, we have to see, you know, uh, assuming that th- th- this kind of luck will not sustain, there will be injuries to Zinchenko, Partey and all these things. How will Arsenal be able to handle each and every challenge in this thing? And City having that experience in the league and that performance in second half of the season, which we know. Yeah. I still feel with two matches against City also, there's the sufficient second of City left. It is an open battle as of now. So let us see how it plays out. Yeah, uh, so talking about injuries, right? Like Arsenal have made some really good signings in um, Jorginho and Trossard as well. What do you think about them? Uh, so actually. Uh, if you look at Arsenal's primary position and primary target in the wing, it was Mikhailo Mudrik. Uh, but uh, in a way, perhaps it was good that we matured on Mudrik. Uh, yeah, I don't know, but perhaps if you look at the position in which Mudrik plays, it is in the left wing. And we already have two players in the left wing in Martinelli and uh, Emil Smith Rowe. Mm-hmm. So one more player would, would have been three players challenging for the same position. In in Trossard, I think it's a very smart signing. 
because trossard can play anywhere in the forward line he can play on the left wing if bukayoko becomes injured he can cover for him if even uh, so gabriel jesus will not be available for the next two months if uh, niketia becomes injured he can cover for him too so trossard can cover in the whole front line so i think it's a very smart signing uh, as far as jo 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 jordino is concerned i think there are some flaws in the player and there are some doubts whether he can fit into the arsenal no in, into the mikel arteta mold mm-hmm. but when you think that the uh, alternatives to thomas partey where uh, 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 elleni was become injured now for at least 2 months and sir 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 lokonga was underperforming for the whole season so compared to them jorginho is definitely a big improvement and we we should not forget that jorginho is, is a player who was almost in the race for the ballon d'or just 2 years back so definitely he is a competent backup for thomas partey uh, definitely and uh, the one more signing okay is a defender from poland yeah so he also a good cover i think as a good backup so i think we have made some good uh, acquisitions for a limited price yeah uh, and arteta had the tar- tar- target that our title challenge should not suffer so let's see how it plays out mm. yeah so what i'm hearing from uh, mm. our greatest ever jinxer is that he is uh, reasonably confident that arsenal will probably finish one rank 1 or rank 2 uh he has previously made a f- very uh, startling prediction that arsenal will finish fifth do you still think that arsenal will finish fifth or not do you think arsenal will finish champions i like to correct you uh, 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 i still think that arsenal has no chance to finish number 1 uh, i still think the city will eventually win it but i uh, i think arsenal should be uh, able to ensure a top 4 finish more or less But I still feel, given the history of Arsenal, there is a significant chance of us falling out of the top four also. <laughs> okay, alright. With that note, we probably will probably end this. Uh, but it's been great chatting to uh, one of our greatest uh, ever jinxers and a big fan of the Talky Taka podcast. Thank you so much, uh, Arun. And, no, the for me, sir, I will do that. Thank you because I've been, I've been. I've been, I've been, I've been listening to the podcast for many months, uh, wishing to join it, but uh, because of some time constraints, I'm not able to join it. But it was great having being a part of it. That's 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 all that's all we care about the fans. So thank you so much, and uh, hoping for an Arsenal uh, Arsenal win. Um, as a United fan, I just can't stand City winning. the premier league again so thanks thanks for this uh, thanks for this interview uh, and yeah uh, with that we sign off